The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Hello again and welcome to Beside Still Waters. Glad you could join me. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation uh, where we left off about uh, Blue Sky Chronicles and eyes that see, the heart eyes that see. And today we're going to be talking about gates and prophets. And uh, this is, of course, taken from the Gospel of Matthew, once more, chapter 7, at around uh, the 13th verse and going all the way to the end. But um, just to do a brief recap, we've been looking at the things that our Lord Jesus Christ was alluding to that requires eyes that see. And very often, uh, the distinction needs to be made that people observe with their physical eyes and try to make a uh, mental assessment of a spiritual value, a, a spiritual thing. And very often that's where the error is made because the things that our Lord Jesus Christ is, is uh, referring to or the things that are mentioned in his teachings um, have to do with the, the eyes of the heart seeing what needs to be seen. And uh, earlier in Matthew's Gospel, we, we addressed the unseen place where one stores up treasures. And that place is heaven. And of course, if you tell that to the average person, they could not conceive how to send treasures ahead. The, the entire concept is foreign to them because we are talking about living a heavenly life on earth. We are eternal beings wrapped in flesh. We had a, you know, a specific time of birth, but having trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we have a starting point and we will live forever somewhere. And so now the Lord Jesus is speaking to uh, his followers, his disciples, and having to teach them about living a heavenly life uh, based on the principles of heaven outlined in the scriptures. And then he talks about an unseen light and makes reference to darkness as being a form of light. Now again, this too may sound strange to the untrained, unseasoned, unseeing eye. But if the apparatus, the eye, uh, is unhealthy, is not whole, then the experience of the person walking is that of darkness. They're still walking, but they're unable to perceive the obstacles that are in their way. And so too with the heart, the eyes of the heart. If there are things that are, that are uh, hindering light coming in, clear perception, 
then the light that is in them, the experience is darkness and the unseen master, that is God. And the contrast is made between God and mammon, money and God. Both are quite effective, but none like God. He's eternal, he's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. And then we we thought about uh, and discussed a little bit about an unseen response. You know, worry. Worry is blindness. Blindness of the eyes of the heart. And our Lord Jesus took time to, to use birds and, and, and lilies to reorient the thoughts, to show the fingerprint of God in the physical world and how he provides and then extract from that the key life lesson, that there's a loving, providential, caring father who places greater value on you and me. And of course, uh, when it comes to self-judgment or just exercising judgment, whether on another or ourselves, if we, if we are unable to see the moral flaw within our own lives, then the flaws of others will appear far greater in size than they really are. And he told us that they're like chaff, you know, the mote in your brother's eye as compared to the beam, the weight-bearing timber that's in your eye. But when the heart, the eyes of the heart are applied, are focused on the beam in my eye, and by the grace of God, I'm able to address the moral flaw, and with the help and power of the Spirit of God to address it, to remove it, then I will be in a better place to help my brother and sister with their particular flaws. Why? Because I would have learned my lesson. And then the last two was uh, holiness. You know, the unseen character. And what makes a thing or a person holy? Well, the presence of the Spirit of God. He is the one that sanctifies me and sanctifies my life, my enjoyments, my labors, my gifts, talents, abilities. And he gave the warning that is the Lord Jesus about casting our pearls before swine, failing to recognize what is holy, and even people that may be pagan in perspective and not have an appreciation, a sensitivity to the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's really what it's all about. And of course, the need. Our Lord Jesus spoke about importunity the ask and keep on asking, the shamelessness of waiting upon God and and, uh, reminding him of his promises and bringing our requests to him, knowing that if we do not relent, he will answer. Why? Because he is our father. As we would want to provide for our loved ones, our children, his heart is moved towards us. So all of these things, the unseen place, unseen light, unseen master, the, uh, the eyes that don't see and respond in worry about what we shall eat or drink, 
the unseen moral flaws in our lives, and then we, you know, we have to exercise uh, self-judgment and failing to recognize a holy character. All of these disciplines and experiences are predicated upon eyes, the eyes of the heart that see. Oh, my friend, we've come to, you know, we, we address those three laws, laws of self-judgment, laws of holiness, the laws of answered prayer. And now the Lord Jesus talks about gates and prophets. And he doesn't really spend a lot of time on this subject when you, when you think about it, because he simply uh, uh, exhorts his followers to enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are they who enter through it. For narrow the gate and straightened the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So you, you think of gates and the way and then the end result. I, I want to remind you that gates are just an entrance to a path which leads to a, a specific destination. In this case, the options are only two. There will only be two possible endings for a person's life. Destruction or life. But I want to remind you that there are people who are pointing to either paths. And typically they will add a message with a sense of urgency. Well, these are the prophets, and they're either true prophets or false prophets. But open eyes, eyes that see, are needed to see beyond the obvious. Because when the Lord Jesus was teaching, we, we need to take into account, well, who are the one who makes the choice as to which gate? Well, it's you, me, and countless others. Well, then you ask yourself the question, well, who's telling us to choose? Why, they're the voices of the prophets. Now you're thinking, well, I don't know any prophets. But my dear friend, if you were to think about who is urging you to take a path that will affect the rest of your life, that person becomes to you a prophet. And you have to ask yourself the one question, why? Why only two paths? Why are there insisting that I choose because either way, we all will choose. And I want to remind you that when I, when I make reference to eyes that see, and I, I do apologize, I've been uh, making reference to this repeatedly. Well, I'm really talking about the heart of the disciple, what you are able to perceive. It is with the heart that has no obstructions, that when it is applied to what is before it, the person is able to see beyond the mere objects that the physical eye is set on. God has made us in such a way that we perceive with our hearts. We're able to see beyond the, the tangible, the physical. We see, if you will, into time 
a certain timelessness beyond the room, the place where I'm standing, beyond the people that I'm interacting with. And so if the desire, if your desire as a disciple is to see beyond the obvious, then I urge you to ask God, the loving Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, please give me eyes to see what you see that I need to see so that I would make the right decision, the decision that leads to life. Alternatively, you might just be a seeker. You're unsure. You're between two opinions. You want life, but you're not sure if you're seeing what you need to see about the choices that are before you. And if you are unsure where you are on this journey, then ask God to help you. Help me. I want to see, but I'm blind. Open my eyes, please, so that I might make a choice that leads to life. And my friend, you might be a skeptic. And I'm not here to criticize this skeptic. And it might be difficult for you to agree with anything that you're hearing. You might say to yourself, I don't agree with any of this. But if possible, if perchance that it is true, then ask the God that you're even doubtful exists. Ask that God to make it possible for your eyes to be open. Now, I know that that sounds rather strange, that you're going to ask a God that you may not have placed any confidence or trust or have a relationship with to open your eyes. But he knows what your thoughts are, that if you are given sufficient eyes to see, you will embrace what is before you. And so everyone is faced with two choices, a narrow gate, a broad gate. So you ask the question, well, who created the gate anyway? <laughs> well, at least I asked the question, well, who, who made the gates? Why did they make them that way? Why is one broad, a wide gate? And why is the other one a narrow gate? It's straightened. What is the person who created these gates trying to encourage or avoid? And what is characteristic of the paths that should be chosen? And the Lord Jesus points to what is waiting at the end of both paths. But you ask yourself, well, what is it? What is life? What is destruction? And so I, I would ask you to consider the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And having considered his ministry, his teaching, his deeds of raising the dead, causing the blind to see, setting captives free, healing people that are in need of healing and speaking of the kingdom of God, if these things are true and he has 
the moral bearing that would compel us to trust his word, then we have to conclude, no matter what choice we make of the path we will live the rest of our lives, there is risk, opportunity, and reward with both options. But what we are looking at is the entire life, the entire lifespan. That is the way. There's a way that's on a wide path, a broad way. A way of living that leads to destruction and a way of living that leads to life. But it encompasses the entire life. And eyes that are able to see span 20, 30, 40, maybe up to 60 years from the point at which you and I are standing right now. You are looking at your entire life about to be lived, and it will be determined by the gate you are about to walk through. The gate is this very moment that you are about to embark on, and every person, every single person must and will make the choice. The paths will inevitably lead to a foreknown result. Now, you say to yourself, well, I don't know what the result is, but there is one that is appealing to us and telling us there can only be two results, life and destruction. And apparently, one, no more than two persons, are aware of what is on both paths. What is the risk, the opportunity, the reward, or the loss that the traveler is going to incur? And so, although there's not a lot to consider in the Lord Jesus' appeal, there is a lot. Because you and I are facing a life choice and it is imperative that our eyes are wide open because when we are on that path and we have arrived at the end, there is no turning back. It is your entire life that you are about to make this decision. Which way will you travel? Which gate will you choose? The narrow gate or the wide gate and the broad way? So, in conclusion, firstly, before we go deal with the prophets, none of the travelers can see the entire picture of the path they're on. But a commitment is needed. They have to be told by one who has eternally seeing eyes. The Lord Jesus is looking throughout time to the very end, and all the people, all the souls that are walking on both paths, the narrow path, which there are few that are traveling on that path, and the broad path. There are many that are on that path. And he says, at the end of this broad path, there is destruction. And you're going to have to make up your mind. Not everybody has eternal eyes. 
But if we have eyes to see, we will perceive the risk, the opportunity, the reward, or the loss. Who is qualified to see in this timeless way? Whose life and ministry validates that they are qualified to tell us from where they are standing that there are only two paths, only two choices, only two gates, and there are only two results? If I can see, I will choose the narrow way. It's fraught with obstructions. It has challenges and difficulties. But at the end, there's life. And when the Lord Jesus speaks of a narrow way, it's like being like grapes that are being pressed. They are compressed. This narrow way has a few pressures along the way. We are pressed. We are challenged. It is difficult to walk on the narrow way. But it leads to life. It may have some afflictions. There might be some distresses. But it leads to life. But to see this, I must ask God to give me eyes that see not what is in front of me, but beyond what is in front of me, to the potential risk and opportunity and reward. But then there's a wide gate. It's broad. There are no constraints. There are no obstacles. It's spacious. And there are many that are going this way. But we are told that it leads to destruction. And now, for the rest of our lives, we will encounter people who are appealing to us to choose. And there are voices that will say, choose the broad gate. You'll like this. It's easy. And so the Lord Jesus now talks about the prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but within are ravening wolves. Now, again, and I ask your pardon, that I'm referring to open eyes once more. But all you can see is the sheep's clothing. You cannot see the character within. But remember, earlier when we talked about uh, giving what is holy to dogs. There needed to be a recognition of what is actually holy. And what becomes holy, as Paul uh, wrote to the church at Corinth, their bodies, their behaviors are made holy by the presence of the Spirit of God and yielding to him. And now we are faced with evaluating the character of the prophet, the character of the person that's appealing to me to go on the broad way, the easy way, the challenge-less way. But are they telling me the full story? 
They are dressed in sheep's clothing, and I'm inclined to trust the message. But only those with eyes that see beyond the obvious, beyond the immediate, but see, if you will, through time, to the end of that path, 20, 30, 50, 60 years from this point. Look ahead of your life and ask yourself, what's going to be waiting for me when I get to that end point? And some of us may never see the end point. We may make an early departure. And so the devotee is constrained to consider the factors that supersede the obvious clothing of the person who is telling me to choose the path. Well, the Lord Jesus is appealing to us to choose the narrow way. But in the event you're wondering, you could tell who the prophet is by the fruit of their lives. Just like a tree produces fruit, for example, like the Pharisees. They were the prophets of the day. They were the religious ruling body, but they were obstinate, they were greedy, they were murderous, they were ravening. They were gold diggers, <laughs> loved money. They didn't mix with those who had needs, publicans and sinners. They accused wrongly. They called Jesus uh, to be empowered by Beelzebub when he cast out demons out of the demon-possessed. They were more concerned about religious rituals and displayed no mercy. There were times when, for example, there might have been lame or, 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 or deformed people in the synagogue and who would come to be healed on a Sabbath. And when Jesus performed a healing, they would criticize those within their congregation to say that there are six days when you can come to be healed, but not on the Sabbath. And they were unconcerned about the welfare of people. And there are prophets out there who are not concerned about the possible destruction that a person can experience, the loss after devoting 20, 30, 50 years, only to find at the end of one's life, I've made a poor choice and now it's too late. And so at the time, the, pro the uh, prophets of the day were the Pharisees. Now, John the Baptist came as a prophet as well, and what did he do? Well, he pointed, he uh, urged people to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand and the king was at hand, and he pointed people to the coming Messiah. But John's life spoke for himself. He wore a leather girdle. He ate locusts and wild honey. And we are told in the scriptures that the Judean valley in Jerusalem went out to him. The Spirit of God moved people to come to hear John. Why? Because he pointed them to the narrow way, the straightened way, the way with challenges that required discipline and love and obedience and holiness. But the Pharisees came to his baptism and they were not concerned. Even John the Baptist could turn to them and said, Who warned you to flee the wrath that is coming? And he told them, he urged them to produce fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, if you have chosen the narrow way, then let the outgrowth of your life display that there has been a change of heart, that the 
eyes of the heart have been opened to examine the life, the obstacles, the the planks, if you will, the beams have been recognized and dealt with and removed. And how do we know this? Well, the people, the hearers, the devotees of John were baptized. They were in readiness for the kingdom of God. And there are also some Old Testament uh, individuals. Uh, we think of, of, of Elijah, for example. He was a, quite a prophet, a fiery prophet. And uh, we are told in, in, in uh, the book of the Kings that he, um, he appeared before Ahab. <laughs> King Ahab was a devotee of Baal, the Canaanitish deity, an idol, but you know, he was worshipped as a god. And we are told that after many days that the word of Jehovah came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the face of the earth. And Elijah went and showed himself to Ahab because there was a famine that was severe in the land. And so at the time, the prophets of the day didn't recognize that the hardships they were experiencing, although they were worshiping Baal, was because they did not have eyes to see that Jehovah was judging the land and judging the nations and uh, allowed a drought to fall upon the land that the people may have cause to repent. But they were so steeped in idolatry, supported by Ahab and his wife, <laughs> Jezebel, <laughs> that they could not recognize that they had gone far from God. They had become the voices that were urging the masses to worship idols to their own hurt. And we saw that ultimately God would take away the ten tribes, the northern tribes, because they had followed the voices of false prophets who led them away from the living God. And if you were to ask me, well, what is the risk? How do I know a false prophet from a true prophet? Well, the false prophet will not urge you to walk with God. The false prophet will not urge you to live a life of holiness a life that is sensitive to the presence, the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, a life that seeks to be a sweet aroma in the nostrils of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, a life that is not full of blessing and encouragement to others to walk this path of holiness. It is a message that is not well received. And God is not pleased. In fact, when we think of, of Ahab uh, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, um, when the, the Jehoshaphat was going to go to battle with Ahab, and, and Jehoshaphat, of course, Ahab had the prophets of, of, of Baal, uh, 
prophesying that he's going to be successful in this battle. Uh, and Jehoshaphat wanted to know, is there not a, uh, a prophet of Jehovah? And there was one. <laughs> uh, his name was Micah. And of course, when both kings sent for Micah, Micah was told that the words of the prophets declare good things to the king with one assent. So they had one message to King Ahab. You're going to be successful in this military campaign. And so when Micah came, uh, Micah said, as Jehovah lives, okay, whatever Jehovah says to me, I will speak. And when he came to the king, <laughs> he told the king, go ahead, you're going to prosper. <laughs> and of course, King Ahab didn't believe him. And he said, how many times shall I adjure you that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of Jehovah? And listen to what <laughs> Micah said. He said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Jehovah said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. Essentially, Micah was saying the multitudes on the broad path, if they go on this path, they're going to die. <laughs> they're going to die. But if they turn and return, they will live. So he was pointing people to the narrow way. And then he went on to say this, and my friends, I want you to listen carefully to this. And he said, Hear therefore the word of Jehovah. I saw Jehovah sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him. So all the spirits are before Jehovah on his right and on his left. And Jehovah said, Who shall entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So God had determined that Ahab, for all the evils that he did, he was going to die. Why? Because he led multitudes on the broad path, the broad way, and it ended in their destruction. And now God was going to put an end to this man's life who was used for evil. And look at how it was done. So God asked, Who shall entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one of them said after this manner, and another said after another manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before Jehovah and said, I will entice him. And Jehovah said, With what? And he said, I will go forth and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And Jehovah says, You're going to be successful. But this one spirit said, I will be a lying spirit in the mouths of all the prophets. So he had 450 prophets of Baal, and they all with one assent said, you're going to be successful. But behind the message of the false prophet <laughs> is a messenger of doom, a messenger of evil. And the intent is, the objective is, to lead that soul to destruction. My friends, we are all faced with a decision. We can intend to walk with God. We can draw near to God in a secret place, in a closet, and meet soul face-to-face -face with 
the living God of heaven and earth. And as we have often said, to come before God beside still waters, to quiet our souls, to quiet our spirits in his holy presence, to raise our voices, seeking his mercies and grace and strength to live a life above the noise, to live a called-out life, a life devoted to his pleasure. Or we may bend our ears to prophets that tells us we can be filled, satisfied, wealthy perhaps, but we experience leanness of our souls, a hunger that seems to be insatiable, a hunger created by God that only he alone can meet. And as is the case with King Ahab, that the voices of the prophets told him he would be successful. Why? Because that is what Ahab wanted to hear. But behind these messengers are beings that seek destruction of souls. And our desire, the desire of the devotee of our Lord Jesus Christ, seeks the presence of God, seeks the power of God to live above the noise and clamor of the culture. If you recall from a previous podcast, the Lord Jesus taught that we are salt and light. We are divinely placed counter-culture change agents. We preserve the culture. We bring flavor. We illumine by walking with God. People know what what Christ looks like when we are yielded, when we have presented our hands and feet and heart and mind and abilities, that the Spirit of God would fill and use us for the blessing and encouragement and, and, and strengthening of those who are on the narrow way, the narrow path. And like the Lord Jesus, as we are told in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 1, that the Lord Jesus loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet aroma. His life was a pleasant aroma to the Father and the beneficiaries of that life that was aromatic was you and me. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we too share the same passion to live an aromatic life before the Father, wanting earnestly that those around us will feel the touch of the blessing of the Spirit of God 
filling our hearts and minds. My friends, we have been urged by the Lord Jesus himself more of a warning than anything about the broad way and the narrow way and the urging to enter into the narrow gate, the narrow gate, because that is the way, although filled with obstructions and challenges, it always leads to life. He is seeing eternally. He is seeing through time to the very end of the life. I don't know how old you are. You may be 20, 30, 40, 50. But when you, with the eyes of the heart, look all the way to the end of your life from where you are, is it going to lead to life? Or will it lead to destruction? Now, some of you may say, well, Christian, you are urging me to choose the narrow way. I guess I've become the de facto prophet. <laughs> because from where I'm standing, I'm looking at my life. And I'm looking at the end. And I've chosen the narrow way the way filled with challenge, with obstacles to overcome, within and without. And there are many hearing my voice that have chosen the narrow way, a life set apart, a holy life, a life devoted to prayer, fasting, giving, serving, strengthening, a life that brings glory to God, a life that desires to meet with God with greater frequency besides still waters. Oh, my friend, I appeal to you today. The choices are really rather simple. There are only two. A straight gate, a very narrow gate or broad gate and a way that's fraught with challenge but leads to life, and the other way that's broad, and there's so many that are on this path. But our purpose, our goal, our heart's desire is that while we are on the narrow way, we may pause from time to time throughout our day to meet with God, and quiet our hearts beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.